0: In 1968, the month of May, I think I got off the bus, if I remember correctly, in Fort Riviere. A young guy, didn't know very much, wanted to follow the Lord, wanted to serve the Lord. And I I quickly learned that I was standing on on the shoulders of faithful men. I got to know Mr. John Spreeman. He was kind of related to me, married to my aunt's sister from Toronto. During the 1930s, he left Quebec City, and on his feet, he walked. Do I have a problem? No. Thank you. He walked from Quebec City and did all the gas pay. Over 20 years, every road, every byroad, and stopped at every home and left a track. And there were believers in the Gaspé that came to the Lord, their family came to the Lord through his ministry. In the 1940s, he went to Gerardville, which is northeast of Chicoutimi, way up there in the north. They kidnapped him, tied him up, and put him on a train to get him out of town. <laughs> north of where I live, 30 kilometers from where I live in Schwinnigan, in the 1950s, Joe Darling, he was a tough guy. <laughs> During prayer meeting Wednesday night, they'd set all the cars on fire in front of the, front of the building. <laughs> they tried to burn the building down. And the cops, the police came around and cheered them on. That actually went to Canada's parliament. And the government of Canada insisted with the government of Quebec that Christians be protected. That's what the men who went before I did in French Canada put up with. That's how faithful they were. They didn't give up. And over the last 54 years in the Lord's work, when I've been discouraged and wanted to give up, I thought about them and many more who were faithful in the long term. term. And this morning we're going to be looking at people who were faithful in the Lord's work over the long term. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. We're actually going to start reading in verse 14 to pick up the context, what our brother Dave gave to us last week. Um, Paul's commendation, two examples of humility, faithfulness, and unselfish service. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Let's just remember, before we read this, that Paul is in prison. We're not sure if it's Rome or Ephesus. The text doesn't tell us. Not important. And Paul is, has, there's some danger that Paul will be executed. Very, very clear in this passage. In a couple of places, this passage is going to read. And uh, he's been faithful for a long term, for a long, over the long term, and he's he, he been put in prison for, the, for his faith, for his, his evangelism, for his teaching. And he might be executed. Uh, That's what's going on here. So let's start here in verse 14 again. Do all things, without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And Verse 17 is important. I'm going to read it twice. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Verse these little, these little words here, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself also will come." We will read the rest, the rest of the chapter when we come to that point. So this morning, uh, you're fortunate, we only have two points. We're going to have an introduction. We're going to talk about Timothy, and we're going to talk about Aphroditus. I have a conclusion. <clears throat> now rivalry, pride, Selfish motivation and service have been a problem in Philippi, and I'm not sure why I'm preaching on this, because that's not a problem in this church, never has been, never will be. Um, There's no pride in selfless motivation here. In the first part of chapter 2, Paul has presented Christ's humility as the ultimate example of humility and service and giving oneself uh, completely. And he's also presented his own service as an example of humble service using the drink offering as an illustration. And yesterday, yesterday Dave invited me to speak a little bit about this drink offering because he didn't have time last week. Um, it's interesting that <clears throat> there were many different sacrifices made in the Old Testament. And for most of those sacrifices we, we must not think that all, everything was wasted. People who had an ox or a lamb or an animal they were going to eat would often take it to the temple and it would be sacrificed on the altar. But most of the meat went back to the family and it was consumed by the family. Offered to God first, but then given to the family. And sometimes the priests and the Levites, the servants of the temple, uh, had some of the meat as well. But there was one type of sacrifice which was called the burnt offering, which was not given to anybody. It was completely burned up. It was offered to God, holy, completely offered to God. In of course as an example, an anticipation of the Lord Jesus Christ who lived completely for his Father and He gave Himself completely for the Lord's service, gate went to the cross for us. The burnt offering, and only the burnt offering, if I understand the Old Testament properly, was accompanied by a drink offering. And Paul makes reference to it in verse 17, even if I'd be poured out as a drink offering. They would take about a liter of wine, sometimes a quarter of a liter, depending on which animal is being sacrificed. And after the uh, as the uh, sacrifice was being completely consumed and burned up for God, they would take that wine and they would pour it at the foot of the altar. And it represents A life which is completely poured out for God. And Paul in more than one place, he's speaking here of a possible death. If if my life is to be poured out like a drink offering, if I'm going to die completely, it's, it's wasteful. Good wine poured out on the ground in the ashes, just wasted. Life wasted, but not wasted. And Paul is saying my life might be poured out like that. Just remember that the drink offering, pouring out our life for God, is always preceded by the burnt offering. It's all right to say I want to buy die for God, but if we haven't lived for God, our death for him is not worth that much, is it? And so the drink offering accompanies, follows the burnt offering. And we have two examples here of... Um, <clears throat> Paul Oh yes. Paul closes his letters by discussing his future plans and mentioning his co-workers. Most of Paul's letters work like this. He has a brief introduction, then he has a doctrinal section, then he has a section on practical, practical Christian life, and then he ends the letter with saying, well here's my plans and here are my co-workers. And he does that for instance, uh, and that's always at the end of his letters. Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, Ephesians 6, Colossians 4, the book of Philemon. That's the way they work. But here Paul presents his fellow workers in the middle of his letter. It's the only place he does it. Immediately after the theological, rich, Christological material in the first verses of chapter 2. And why does he do that? Now one of Paul's key points in this Philippian letter is that believers should have a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, Les and and Brother Dave have talked to us about a cruciform life, a life that's like the cross, lived according to the way that Christ lived on the cross. Our life should be lived like that. And after having presented his own service uh, and the humility of Christ as examples, Paul is now going to present Timothy and Epaphroditus as further examples. That's what's going on here. Paul is chiefly here saying, here are two people who are examples of what real Christian service, Christian life is, what should it be. This, this manner of life is not only appropriate for our Lord and for apostles like Paul, but for all believers, believers like Timothy, this young man in Ephesus. So let's start off by looking at Timothy. We have read the passage. Paul explains that he hopes to eventually send Timothy to Philippi but not before he learns his fate from his trial. He's he's afraid he's going to be executed or put in prison for life or something. And as a prisoner, Paul desperately needed someone who would look after his needs. When I was a young man in Bible school, they used to send us to prison every Friday night to preach. And I don't get distracted when children cry during a sermon, because when I was a young man at Bible school, the prisoners were bored, in that small prison in Woodstock, New Brunswick, and they were just waiting for the young preachers to come in so they could bother us. And they would, their cups against the bars, and they'd yell obscene things to us and ask us how pretty the girls were at Bible school and all that type of thing, just to bother us. So I learned to preach through distractions. Uh, um, prisons at that time were not like that. Um, they didn't supply the food. <laughs> you starved unless your friends brought you some food. Um, clothing, washing your clothing, looking after your sicknesses, you better have someone to help you or else you just died. And this was Timothy's job. Uh, Paul needed someone to for food, clothing, carrying messages and only faith Timothy was faithful in the service. So so Paul expresses the hope that he will be cheered by news from the Philippians. Um, He knows there are problems in the church. He's not dismissing those problems. He's taking an optimistic view of their ability to stop their feuding, their fighting. An interesting example of great leadership. <laughs> um, you, 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 I have a daughter-in-law who's a great mom, and she, <clears throat> uh, she just tells the kids, this is how you're going to live. <laughs> this is how I expect you to act. It's, it's an effective example of great leadership. Now Paul gives us three commendations for Timothy. First of all, he says Timothy understands the meaning of being united in spirit with other believers, both with Paul and with the Philippians. He's united in spirit. Paul says, um, and according to the Darby version here, uh, to please Dave and to uh, because he got it right, this translation he got it right on. For I have no one like-minded who will care with genuine feeling how you get on. That's that's old English. How you get on who care with genuine feeling. Like-minded. That's the expression that's very important here. Similar word to of the same mind, because in in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, complete my joy of the same mind. And I think the Holy Spirit, through Paul's writing here, um, ties these two verses together. Paul tells the Philippians be of the same mind and then he tells them Timothy whom I'm going to send to you to help you with your problems is a person who is, is like-minded. He's of the same mind. Timothy is like-minded with Paul in that he shares his interest in the Philippians' welfare. Now may the Lord help us to be like Timothy. May we continually demonstrate genuine concern for others. If in our local church and in our lives, and in our families, and our workplaces, we were constantly showing genuine concern for others, things would change. When we're concerned with others' welfare, we have less time to look at our own belly button. Secondly, second accommodation, uh, Paul says about Timothy, he's remarkably different from other believers, and that he puts others' interests ahead of his own. We can say that differently. He puts the interests of Jesus ahead of his own. Now, I have interests. Uh, I like to help my wife garden. Uh, She doesn't let me touch the plants too much because they always die immediately afterwards. But um, I build her above ground back, I don't know how you say that in English, containers, which she puts all her plants because with arthritis it's a bit easier for her to grow. But we had 122 tomatoes this year Um, and it was a great year. And We had string beans that we had to give away because we couldn't eat them all. Um, And I like to help my wife do that. I like to read. I like to build. Uh, I enjoy construction, working with my hands. Um, And sometimes I get to the place where I have to say, today I would like to do this. I've got a handicap ramp that we built for my mother-in-law when she's living with us, which I'll probably need pretty soon, and uh, uh, I want to finish that. I'm, I'm making it a little bit wider on the corner so I can get my snowblower up, but there's a need. One of my people at one of the churches where I serve has got some real problems. I need to go visit them. I've got lots to do in the next couple of weeks, but I'm going to drive to Nova Scotia because my niece does not know the Lord. and Her husband has just died, and she's had a bad life. Her mother died when she was 11, and her dad placed all the kids somewhere. and We couldn't find them. What she's been through is terrible. I need to go, and I'm not very good at that. I I can be selfish. And and Timothy was an example because he put the interests of others ahead of his own. What a commendation. And thirdly, Paul says about Timothy, his faithfulness has been tested and demonstrated by long-term faithfulness. And despite trials and hard situations, he has served as a slave. Paul uses that word that's translated served in our Bibles, but it's the word based on du which is slave. He slaved. He, uh, slaves worked with much, for much reward, and if they got some food, they were lucky, and they could be worked to death. And his attitude is, I'm just a slave. That was his attitude of service. What commendations? Paul can send Timothy to Philippi in full confidence. He knows that he will be faithful. He knows that he will be more concerned with their welfare, not with his own. And he knows that he will not be discouraged and give up, but qualities. May the Lord give us those qualities in our life. I'm glad that, uh, I think the Lord worked it out that we would celebrate Katie's long-term faithfulness uh, on a day in which... This is our passage to to look at. Secondly, let's look at Epaphroditus. Now, the the Apostle Paul, I didn't read that passage yet, we're going to read it. Let's read uh, chapter 2 of Philippians from verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul uses two expressions here concerning Epaphroditus, uh, two titles of honor. He calls him a messenger, and actually in in the Greek, that's the word apostolos, apostle. Now it's not used in the official sense that he is one of the 12 apostles who are the special foundation of the church for the founding of the church, but it's used about someone who has a special commission to, to preach the gospel and serve God's people. And so he's called apostle. That's a real title of honor. Paul is, is telling us this guy, is, this is a guy with his quality, quality servant. And he also calls him minister. And that's that word, like, It comes from the word, in Greek, which gave the word liturgy in English. Liturgy, talking about service. Uh, That word is used, for instance, in Romans 12 when it says, this is our reasonable service. And so liturgy is not only speaking about order of service in a church service, but it's also talking about uh, service for the Lord in general. It's a word that was used in the Greek language of government officials. It's used of angels who are serving God, and it's used of temple priests. And Paul uses this expression uh, about... This, young, this man's calling, um, uh, excuse me, Paul uses this as an expression of his service um, of his, uh, to his Lord, to the Gentiles. That was his, his, his service, his ministry. and It's the title of high dignity. And Paul is expressing much esteem for Epaphroditus here. And Paul, It's interesting that Paul uses three other words for Epaphroditus. Um, He's quite lavish in his praise for him. He calls him brother. That's a term of affection. He calls him a fellow worker. Prophroditus had worked hard along with Paul in the gospel. And he calls him a fellow soldier. And a soldier endures difficult circumstances without giving up or retreating. My dad lived in Vancouver. At the end of his life, he had Parkinson, and I would fly out to, to see him on occasion, Um, He was a very strong man who had lost his strength, his force. And we talked about um, World War II, when he was on these ships in the Atlantic Ocean, doing convoy duty between North America and Europe. When he's doing convoy duty north of England, around the north of Norway, to Russia, perhaps you don't know that the United States and Canada said a lot of material to Russia during the World War II to, to help them with the war effort, war effort. and uh, how tough it was. Around the north of Norway, dark 24 hours a day because they will go in the winter when it was dark to protect them. Submarines below, airplanes above bombing them. Submarines below throwing torpedoes at them. It was cold. The, the, there was so much ice on the ships, on the mass of the ships, that there was a danger that the ship would tip over, and they would spend 24 hours a day, there'd be teams chopping the ice off at 30 below zero, the spray coming on and making more ice. It was hard. A soldier endures difficult circumstances though giving up or retreating. And so Epaphroditus was like that. He, he was affectionate, he was a fellow worker, worked hard, and he endured circumstances though giving up or retreating. If you want to serve the Lord and you need to serve the Lord, you're going to reap difficulties. It's going to be hard, and you've got to keep going. Paul makes sure that the church in Philippi understands why he is sending Epaphroditus back to his home church. Um, They send Epaphroditus to Paul. Paul's sending him back. Perhaps they could suspect that he didn't do his job well, that Paul is saying, go home. He did that to uh, John Mark one time, didn't he? Um, But Epaphroditus has carried out his commission faithfully. Uh, Paul has no reservations about his conduct, and here it's clear that Epaphroditus is longing for them. Longing, it's a very strong word here. And thirdly, Epaphroditus had been very sick. This is a sickness, we don't know what it was, but it was apparently related to his work for the Lord. And he knew that his home church was very concerned about him, and he wanted to reassure them about his situation. So, Paul encourages the Philadelphian church to receive Epaphroditus with all joy and in the Lord. And he commands them to honor men like Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I want to ask you a question. You have leaders in your church. I'm active in several churches. Um, I'm going to say this you guys are lucky you got good leaders. (laughs) They they may not be perfect, but um, they're not in it for the money. Uh, You haven't had terrible moral failings among your leaders like it's happened in so many churches I've I've seen. Um, I, I hope you honor your leaders. Sometimes they need to be encouraged. Sometimes it's discouraging. Sometimes it's tiring. Sometimes it's hard. Just tell them that you appreciate them honor them, pray for them, encourage them. That's Paul's commandment to the Philippian church about these men. Conclusion. Notice how Paul builds up and enhances the reputation of his co-workers. I've been in the Lord's work and sometimes it's for the last 54 years there have been times when money was not available and I've taken jobs worked as an accountant, as an IT specialist, and things like that. I've had bosses, and I've been a boss. And I've had bosses who destroyed me. Critical, never happy. And uh, sometimes I look at myself as a boss, and I think to myself, you know, you know that home home on the range where never is heard a discouraging word? I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> uh, I've been a father, I'm a grandfather today. Um, Sometimes as a a parent, (laughs) it's hard not to find a discouraging word. When I gave courses back in the days, uh, how to be parents, I used to say, try to remember as a parent to say five encouraging words for every discouraging word you say. And sometimes that's not easy. Um, But as a parent, As a church leader, as a supervisor responsible for employees, what an important habit to cultivate, to encourage, to build up people rather than tear them down. Uh, Our words can be used to discourage, to destroy others, or we can encourage and empower them. And the Apostle Paul, particularly in the later years of his ministry, the people he worked with, he built them up. Make a habit of that. Parents, build up your kids. Uh, Create Confidence in them. Uh, Do that with the people you redeem. Sometimes you have to correct, but you don't have to destroy. Secondly, Timothy and Prophroditus have developed spiritual maturity, humility, and servant hearts. And I'd like to suggest to you that they observe those qualities in Paul, and that those qualities have rubbed off on them. And I'm asking myself my question this week. Um, The Lord has allowed me to work with a number of young men in my life, and uh, some are doing a whole lot better job than I ever did. Um, And I'm asking myself, what example have I demonstrated to my younger co-workers that they will copy and live out in their own lives and service? If you are getting on in years, um, and you're serving the Lord, I hope that you have a young man, a young woman, two or three, that you are building up for the future. I don't know how long I'm going to be alive. Um, The doctor hasn't told me to put my house in order yet. Um, I got a pretty good warning from my cardiologist again this week. But um, um, I, I want to make sure even now that I'm pouring my life into others because I'm not going to live eternally. And may the Lord give us who are leaders to have an impact in the lives of those who are around us. Like Paul did. Thirdly, notice how Paul always surrounded himself with co-workers. I probably anticipated what I'm saying here. He worked hard to improve their skills and to teach them. Um, I'm at the point where I'd rather help a young man learn to preach than to preach myself. He He multiplied his effectiveness And I'm asking the question, as a leader, what percentage of our time are we investing in raising up new leaders? Paul's remedy for infighting, division, arguing, complaining, is demonstrated in the lives of these men. Refusing to entertain selfish ambition. Be careful of ambition in the Lord's service. Let another another praise you, and not your own self, tells us the reader of Proverbs. We don't have to push ourselves in front. Um, a man's gift finds, finds its way. And, and or a woman's gift as well. And if we're constantly pushing ourselves in, a, in, in front and, and want to be more popular and more, have a better reputation than somebody else, it's, it's the opposite that's going to happen. Refusing to entertain selfish ambition. Rooting all pride and conceit from our lives. I'm more and more convinced and I become more convinced of this every month that pride is the root of every sin in our lives it was the first sin in the universe Satan it was Adam and Eve's first sin the pride of life they knew what was best for them pride will destroy a church pride will destroy your life root it out I had prostate cancer a few years ago and there was something with me, I don't want to go through these treatments. I really don't want to do it, you know. And I had a good talking to from the specialist who said, look, we got to get rid of this. we got to root it out. And pride is much more serious than any cancer. Root it out. Conceit. Thinking that we're somebody. Cultivating humility in a spirit of Unity. That others' interests, others' gifts are more important than my gifts. Putting others' interests first. That's Paul's remedy for infighting, for division, for arguing, complaining. And it's demonstrated in the lives of these men. May um, it be demonstrated in our lives. In Philippians chapter 2, we thrill to read deep theological truths about the person of our Lord in the verses 5 to 11. Maybe we can come back to them in a later series, important verses. And then in the following verses, Paul teaches about Christian character. Now, I'm trained as a theologian. Theology is important to me. Um, I read theological textbooks. Every time a new theologi- theological textbook comes out, I buy it. And I think it's almost going to cost my marriage sometime. Um, now I buy them on my Kindle or on Logos or on. Uh, um, Accordance, which are uh, software which help us use theology textbooks. Um, Theology is important to me. But Paul follows his theological teaching about Christian character. You can't be right in your theology if it doesn't affect your life. Both are important. So doctrine though Christian life and character is of small value. Serving the Lord in any capacity is hard. The devil will put obstacles in our way, and both believers and unbelievers can be difficult. Timothy and Epaphroditus did not abandon their service when the going became hard. And I want to ask the question to myself and to each of us are we giving up too easily? I want to go through with a more recent example, a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you know his story. During World War II, before World War II in Germany, he was a pastor, very evangelical Lutheran pastor, loved the Lord, very faithful. And he watched what was going on in Germany, and he was very, very tormented inside. Uh, he's a patriot, he loves his country. I wanted my country to win, but on the other hand, my country's doing all these terrible things, uh, killing people who are handicapped, the Holocaust, attacking other countries, destroying other countries. Uh, Do I want my country to win or is it better for me to want my country to lose? He was fighting with all that and um, uh, he was speaking up fairly clearly uh, when many in the churches were afraid to speak up and were siding with the Nazis uh, to protect themselves or because of misplaced loyalties. And in 1939, um, he was called to America, to the US, um, because the Lutheran Church there wanted to to have a ministry towards many Germans who had gone to the US to escape Nazism. And uh, so he went to the US, um, where he was safe and useful. But he was struggling with his responsibilities in Germany, those who were being persecuted there for their faith. Many Christians in Germany, and we don't know this from history books, many Christians in Germany paid with their lives to stand up against Nazism. He made a very hard choice. And despite the urging of the churches who were joining his ministry um, in the US at the beginning 1938, 1939, 1940, um, he went back to Germany. And um, he was faithful. And he stood up for what was right. And he lost his life. They killed him. Not too long before World War II ended, they killed him. And he lost his life for following Jesus. But I want you to know that he gained his life for all eternity. And I'm just praying for my own life as I get a little bit older that the Lord will make me faithful. And probably the Lord is not going to call me to be killed for my ministry and my faith here in Quebec. Probably not. But may the Lord help me, may he help may he help you, um, to be willing to pour our life out as a drink offering, if that's what's called for, and if it isn't dying for Christ, um, being executed for a fake Christian life, may we have a life that burns up for the service of the Lord, like the burnt offering, and may our life be presented to the Lord as a drink offering. We've lived completely for Him, poured out for His service. When I became When I decided to go to Bible school and become a missionary, I had family members who had ambitions for me. They wanted me to join the Navy as an officer, and I I tried to do that, getting rid of the Lord's will, I knew it. And they wanted to become captain of a ship or admiral one day. You can do that, they told me. And I was told, when I decided to accept that the Lord was calling me to do ministry I'm in you're wasting your life you're wasting your life I just want to close by telling you that if you take time to serve the Lord we need Sunday school teachers hmm. I'm sure there are other needs of this church maybe you've got other things you could do and you don't want to waste your life doing something because you have other things more important to do I just want to tell you that you don't waste your life when you take time to make a priority in your life to serve the Lord Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul, the example of Timothy, the example of Epaphroditus. Thank you for the example of our Lord Jesus Christ who poured out his life as a drink offering to you and who lived his life as a burnt offering, died on the cross as a burnt offering. Thank you for the faithfulness, for the attitude, for the humility. For the service which put others ahead of themselves of these four examples we have in this book of Philippians. Lord, church, touch our hearts. Change us, Lord, we're selfish, we're prideful, we're conceited, we have wrong priorities. We've read your word, we've looked at your word. Now use your word to change our lives, Father.